Welcome everyone, you're listening to Do We Like Murder, a segment of the Long Overdue Podcast, a production of the Decatur Public Library in Decatur, Texas. I'm Chris, but that's not really important right now because today it's about Denise and Dawn. Hi. Hello. And the books that they read about murder. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not. <laughs> yes, and somewhat recent. I'm not sure about yours. Mine was Oh no, mine was late eighties. Oh. Oh, we kind of maybe switched a little bit this <laughs> yeah. time. Okay. Mine was mine was pretty late there. Well, you're talking about the books or the crimes? Because that book's not very old, right? No, we're talking about the crimes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just just making sure. <laughs> okay. I know that Dawn has read some some older books as well. Yes, I, I tend to pick the ones from the eighties, <laughs> and they always seem to be really good. But this one was two thousands. Mm-hmm. I actually need to. It's been a few days since I've read, so I need to look back at my uh, <clears throat> the, the book to find out like when this happened. Okay, so yeah, early 2000s, 2003. Cool. So, yeah, I think mine was 1988. Yep, 1988. Which and is really funny. The 90s. Because I don't feel like that's very long ago, but it was 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. I mean, 2003, that was 17 years ago? Yeah, like, yeah. (laughs) Started thinking about it, and we're just like, oh, what? (laughs) Yes. Still so long ago. All right, so who's going first? Who wants to talk first about murder? Who's going first? I don't know. You want me to go? Sure. I always like talking, so, you know. (laughs) Do I have to wait to the second? Mm Mm-hmm. What book did you read? So I read Practice to Deceive by Anne Rule. And this is about a murder that happened uh, in the North Pacific Northwest off of, I think it was on, uh, the actual murder was on Whidbey Island. But this was all about, I don't know, it's it's about this murder, but it's also about the families Mm -hmm. that were, I don't want to, they weren't really involved, but the history of the families Mm -hmm. and at first I'm like okay so why did Anne Rule start here and then go back and talk about these other things so I don't know I may talk a little different about it I might tell a little bit more of the history (laughs) (laughs) and then get to the murder no I don't know so there was a murder that happened on Woodby Island Uh, it was the day before Christmas, maybe the day after Christmas, something right in that, you know, those couple days. Mm-hmm. And this guy was found dead in his truck, um, and he'd been shot in the head, I believe. And so they had no leads. I mean, this was early mm-hmm. 2000s, and I don't know, it was <clears throat> snowing, and he was found probably... Um, over 24 hours after it had happened and um, there was all kinds of stuff going on 
So he was married to this lady who, Brenna, I believe her name is, and she worked at a hair salon. And they were divorced. He was actually living down in south of Seattle area, and she was still living on the island. So he was there to have Christmas with the family. Mm -hmm. Um, They had two kids. And so then she said that he just went out to do something, and then he never came back. Hmm. And, um, well, anyway, you start reading this, and it's like, okay, that's a little suspicious. You know, she, the police end up coming, finding out who he was. Uh, and then they go to her house, and it's late at night. She doesn't even ask who it was, you know, who's there at the door. She just opens the door, and thankfully, it was the police officers. Mm-hmm. Um, but she doesn't ask why they're there. She doesn't inquire what happened. She's just like letting them ask their questions and and telling him stuff. And she's not very nice to um, her, not really to her ex-husband, but about him. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if they were actually divorced. Well, it sounds like they weren't together because he came to spend <clears throat> Christmas with them. Yes. And it sounded like they weren't living in the same place. Maybe they weren't divorced yet, but it seemed like they were separating or living apart. Well, I think they were trying to work things out. Mm-hmm. And she kind of, I think, alluded to that, but she was very disrespectful to him. Mm -hmm. And it's like, really? You're trying to work things out? It sounded like, you know, he was wanting to come back and Mm -hmm. she didn't really want him to. And she was talking about this way about him to the cops? Yes. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So, I know that Chris has given that look there. Um, Like... (laughs) We know better. We've been reading these books for how long? We know you don't do that. We'll start squeezing out some tears, lady. Right? Right. Exactly. So this is where things start getting convoluted. So many people kind of come into this whole thing. Um, It's like, where do I even start? So back history. Do I even want to go there now? No, I can't go there now. <laughs> you don't know those people yet. <laughs> no wonder <laughs> Anne did it this way. <laughs> She's probably one of the most prolific true crime writers. Yes, I've read several of her books and they are good. Yeah. All right, Anne. Um, we trust you know what you're doing. Yes. <laughs> so, Brenna... The ex-wife now mm-hmm. uh, works at this hair salon, and um, she's living in a house that the she w- she's working with another hairdresser, and her name is Peggy Sue, mm-hmm. and Peggy Sue owns the house. I don't think she owns the salon. I think that Brenna and who even died? <laughs> what yeah, is his name? <laughs> that would be good to know, right? <laughs> um. Russell Douglas, I believe, is what his name is. He's the one who died, was murdered. Um, they they owned the salon, so they're trying. You know, he was doing the books for her, and I mean, mm-hmm. he was still kind of involved somewhat in mm-hmm. all that. But anyway, so that's how she knows Peggy. Peggy, um, they work together and all that. So Peggy 
ends up leaving town um, around Christmas time anyway, she um, moves to Las Vegas. And I, um, she's got a boyfriend down there. And she ends up running or working for a limousine um, service. And she's really good. She um, remembers, she, they cater to um, high-profile people that spend a lot of money. And so she remembers what they like to drink and, you know, all this stuff. And so they actually request her when they come to Vegas to drive them around and, and all oh. this stuff. So I thought that was very interesting to, yeah. you know, think about that. But uh, yeah, and she would get like huge tips, mm-hmm. like $1,000 tips at night. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so she was really good at her job. Um, and so the police are getting involved and they're starting to investigate people. You know, they look at the wife and um, basically all this is cold. You know, they can't figure out mm-hmm. anybody. So I'm sorry, this has been such a long time. It's like, how did they even connect this? This is incredible. <laughs> um, <laughs> now you've got me really interested. Right? Good. <laughs> How did they do it? Yeah. We'll see if it comes together in my mind as I'm telling the story. So um, Peggy and her boyfriend um, living in Vegas. And at Christmas time, they had actually come back to Whidbey Island and um, had dinner with Brenna, um, exchanged some gifts and different things and went back. And um, the Russell, the, the guy who died, actually had a girlfriend where he was down working. Um, and, um, yeah, Brenna had her kids. I feel like I'm all over the place with this today. <laughs> so, uh, Peggy has a family, and it it's a very large family, and it's very odd. Not really too bad but okay so (laughs) her dad had been married before and had four kids and they were living in california and he was in the military and was i believe um i'd read that he was in tennessee um at the time and his wife was murdered so come to find out what happened is there was a teenager next door Mm-hmm. who um, had been doing things with other people and the cops or the parents said, oh, he'll grow out of it. He's, he, you know, whatever. Well, he stalked her. Um, she, for some reason, didn't lock the door that night. He comes in through the basement door, comes up, and then he kills her, then rapes her. And in, in that order. <coughs> yeah, that was just what I was thinking. Yes. Oh. Yes. I mean, that doesn't make it. I mean, it's bad either way. Well, yes. But. But that's yes. Mm. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and that was a teenager that did this mm-hmm. to this mom of four kids. Okay. So he goes home and actually, um, I'm not even going to go there. But anyway, uh, he eventually gets caught. The kids uh, wake up and are, like, shocked to find their mother mm-hmm. in 
this condition the older boys wake up the girls and they take them out of the house and they had to walk right by the mother but they're so young I don't know how much they really are retaining Mm -hmm. so they go to the neighbor's house and um their dad finally comes home. They have the funeral. The, the dad won't even go back into the house. He's just so mm-hmm. traumatized. And um, and they just move. They just pack up and, and move to Whidbey Island because this was in California. Mm-hmm. Um, but the guy is convicted um, because they did realize who it was and, and all that. So when they get to Whidbey Island, it's the dad and the kids and he needs help because he's still in the military. And mm-hmm. so he hires this lady to take care of the, the girls. Well, she had two girls of her own. And so there were six kids. So she was taking care of his and hers. And, um, after a year they get married and, um, then they have another girl and that's Peggy. Oh, wow. Yes. So the two, the the girl that they have together Mm -hmm. is Peggy. So he married Doris, and this guy's name is um, James, Jimmy Stackhouse. And um, she's not nice to his kids, really. She Mm -hmm. basically just takes care of her girls and overlooks the others and although in public she's like oh i'm a saint mm-hmm. you know look at me taking care of all these kids so anyway the peggy is now the only child of both of them and mm-hmm. so she gets spoiled she's the youngest um she gets away with a lot of stuff she pushes the limits with a lot of stuff um so when they get older one of the um boys from James's first marriage mm-hmm. of the four uh, gets murdered <clears throat> because he was um, out from the military and mm-hmm. he was trying to stop a fight that was happening, trying to protect somebody else. And um, that person brings out a gun and shoots him. Wow. Um, so that's two murders now mm-hmm. in that family. And um, one of the other sons also some reason i was thinking something happened with him too um so anyway i mean peggy sue is not exactly part of that but it's in her her past and Mm -hmm. and then she's getting spoiled and um gets whatever she wants uh she has been a miss washington like model she was in the military she was like a lead mechanic and she's really good at her job mm-hmm. um she was a really good basketball player she's a, like six foot tall and yeah i mean she was just really good at everything that she did yeah um well come to find out there is leads that lead back to the fact that her and her boyfriend may have killed this guy because they know brenna Mm -hmm. really well and um anyway there's just so much to this story um what happened is they didn't find the gun and they took the guy, the boyfriend is the one really who had, I think, shot the gun. Mm-hmm. So he ended up taking the gun and he, um, 
I think he gave it to somebody. He gave it to somebody for safekeeping who used to be a police officer. And they started talking in the news about this Mm -hmm. stuff. And the guy's like, I've got to turn this over. Yeah. So he turns it over to the police. And sure enough, it it matches. I never understand why they keep the gun. Oh, yeah. And they even, I'm going to keep this. Why? Yeah. (laughs) And they talk about that in here that that's one of the things that kind of helps tie her in because she, Peggy's. Um, makes comments to her friend um, in like a drunken state that says, <laughs> yeah, and I would have thrown the gun uh, over the edge of the ferry, you know, in the sound or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Throw it in the lake. <laughs> they never would have found it there, yeah. you know. Um, no, I'm going to give it to my buddy who's an ex-cop <laughs> for safekeeping. I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll be all right. It'll be yes. great. Yeah. He'll never figure it out. <laughs> So how they got this gun was they had asked this cop if he could get him a gun. And the cop was like, no, I can't do that. But a few weeks later or something, he comes up and says, oh, I've got a gun. Can you show me how to use it? And so the, the cop's like, well, okay. you know. And so they go over to their house. And in I think it was, they were in Vegas at the time. And they would shoot into this dirt pile or something. And so he was teaching him about mm-hmm. how to use it. And um, so after the guy gave the gun to the police, they um, asked about that kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. so they were able to go back to their old house and dig up the bullets that were there also. um, And it all matched. Yeah. You know, so that's how they um, got the boyfriend. His name is Jim Hooden, Hudden, H-U-D-E-N. He should have just wore a sign that said, I did it. Right? <laughs> Run around town. I like, I did it. It was me. If they hadn't have done that, there would have been no physical evidence. They did everything else. I mean... Yeah. It, okay, so anyway. <laughs> so, there, after the murder, they go back to, to Vegas, and the boyfriend, Jim, goes to um, Florida, where his wife lives. <laughs> <laughs> And they have a business. And uh, he ends up confessing to one of his best friends that he'd shot somebody and Man. all this stuff. Jimmy is just dead weight. Peggy <laughs> Sue, cut him loose. <laughs> right. So the best friend is like, holy crap, what do I do with this? <laughs> you tell the cops. Yes. And he struggled. He did. But he finally calls the cops. And... They talk and, you know, the police go down there and talk and, yes, they get the confession out of him and <clears throat> and all this stuff. So, Jim hightails it and disappears. Nobody knows where he's at. He's at. But his wife, well, she pretends she doesn't know where he's at either, but she, she knows. He's in, he's in Mexico. Um... Okay, so trying to go back through here, make sure I'm catching everything. Eventually, they find out. Peggy talks with the ex-wife. They get together several times and whatever. They send stuff to Jim and, uh, you know, whatever, money and whatever he needs. So this is his ex-wife? 
Or were they still married? <laughs> they're still married. Okay. <laughs> Wife and girlfriend. Wife and girlfriend decide yeah. that they're going to get together and just Yes. And yes. Send gym care packages. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> but within all of this, uh, somehow, I don't know if it's Jim or if it's Peggy Sue, they talk to her and tell her what happened. And of course, she's still so in love with him, I guess, that she doesn't, she still <laughs> wants to help. I don't know what she's doing. Um, she, drugs is what she was doing. Okay. I found out, yes. So, <laughs> yeah. So Peggy goes back to, um, or sorry, to Nevada. In the meantime, she meets somebody who drives in her limousine, and he's a rich dude from New Mexico. He owns a ranch, and, you know, so he comes every once in a while, and every time he requests her, and mm-hmm. so they start dating, and she, and Peggy Sue's telling her best friend that, I think in, in so certain terms that he's basically just she's gonna do something for the money you know Mm -hmm. um they finally catch jim at this point i can't remember when they actually go down and arrest him and but they did find him in mexico finally Mm -hmm. and um and arrested him and he wouldn't say anything about peggy sue um Oh yeah. Okay. So wait. So <laughs> the guy who's been going in 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 the um, the limousine, mm-hmm. his name is very important, but I don't <laughs> remember it. Mike Allen, I think, is what his name is. He owns a ranch in um, New Mexico. The rich dude, remember? Mm-hmm. So they get married, and uh, she immediately starts. Uh, stockpiling things and money, and so she um, she stockpiled a houseboat that was like <laughs> a million dollar houseboat kind of thing. She stockpiled. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> so you rent a warehouse and just park it in there and be like, yes. don't tell anybody that it's here. That's what she did. But then she had her dad. James or Jim Stackhouse come and move it up to uh, the Pacific Northwest oh. um, without her husband knowing that. And um, yeah, so it was just gone. And okay, so I've got to find this guy's name because it was very interesting. Anyway, so they're married. She starts stockpiling all this stuff. She tells She gets her best friend to work for him. So the best friend is kind of between the two and uh, finally starts to see Peggy Sue's side. So she is? Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when some of this stuff starts coming out that she, um, you know, I'd have thrown the gun over the side mm-hmm. and just making small little comments that she's like, yeah, I think she did this. <laughs> and um, something happened in one of the whole stockpiling things that the new husband, did I say Mike? I think it's Mark Allen. He had this old gun. And so she took the gun and was going to try to use it, I think, on her new husband, her rich husband. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Um, Yes, it's Mark Allen. 
Um, so the the best friend tells Mark, I think something's up. You need to watch your back. Yeah. And so he, you know, becomes a little bit more aware of what's going on and the fact that she's basically been taking Where's my houseboat? Right? <laughs> all this stuff. Well, this is fascinating. So anyway, something happens. They get divorced. Mark's like, okay, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so funny because Peggy Sue had moved her mom in. This, her mom had a an RV and parked it there on Mark's thing so, uh, on the property. So <laughs> after they get divorced, <laughs> Peggy Sue's moving in with the mom. <laughs> Doris is like, the, the mom is like, oh, baking him cookies and doing all this and that so that she doesn't get kicked off the <laughs> land too. <laughs> and I don't know how long she lived there, but I thought that was just so funny. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah we're getting along. I'm not losing this gravy train. <laughs> um, so anyway, Peggy Sue takes off with her stash and it was it was a lot of money mm-hmm. like millions of dollars i think that she ended up getting away with in this two-year marriage you know um but right after they got divorced mark was very big into horses and uh, one of his horses won the kentucky derby Ooh. right and uh obviously he came into more money than he had before so she just wasn't very smart. How did he do that? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, did he did he gamble on the horse, or did he just win because, or he got a lot of money because it was his horse? It was that his. Won, it right? was his horse. Yeah. Okay. That won. Yeah. Okay. Usually they win like a like a purse. It's you know, like, they get. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was some of it goes to the jockey, but. It, it was legit winnings, not, yes. not gambling. <laughs> yes, yeah. There's probably something that tells, says you can't gamble on your own, on your own horse, horse uh, yes. that you raised and know is going to win. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, from what I understand, he was not ever under investigation. So, um, at least it never came up in this book. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> By all accounts in this book, he was an okay guy. Yes. <laughs> Not too smart about picking her, but yeah. everything else he was seemed pretty wise at. Um, so anyway, they get divorced. She goes back to Nevada or whatever. Anyway, so they're wise to her at this point. Mm-hmm. They have arrested Jim uh, Hooden, and he won't say anything about them being uh, her being involved with it. Um, but they finally go, and they're both at the... Um, point of being on trial at the same time it's like who's going to go first Mm -hmm. and it ends up that he goes first and then she's second and before she goes on trial one of the people who were going to testify against her was her sister um half sister from Mm -hmm. the, the previous marriage because um she had said some things to her i don't remember exactly all the details of it but that lady shot herself the night before she was supposed to testify. Mm. And and part of that was because of the mom dying mm. and being murdered and then the brothers. And I mean, it was just, this was just the, kind of like the last straw, I think, for her. Mm-hmm. And um, so there was a lot of trauma in that family. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Peggy Sue um, was, I think, the one who mastermind the whole thing i think brenna the wife wanted to get rid of him Mm -hmm. uh for the insurance money 
And so Peggy Sue is like, yeah. Um, oh, that's what happened a couple times. Some, somebody would be mad at somebody else and Peggy would be like, well, do you want us to take him out? <laughs> yeah. And that, that, yeah, anyway. That was only half a joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, she was very serious. Um, so she ends up getting four years even though she was the one, I think, who kind of masterminded the whole thing. The um, the ex-wife never really got, um, they never really pursued her because there was nothing, not enough evidence. But yeah, unless one of them turned on her and they could cooperate it. Yeah. But there wasn't really anything that they could do. Yeah. And it was the whole thing with the insurance money. She just couldn't wait to get the insurance money. Mm -hmm. And then she got it and she was like spending it like right away. She bought a new house. She bought a new vehicle and she moved. And I mean, there was just a bunch of stuff, but she went through it. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, so that happened in 2003, but then she was not convicted until like 2011 or something like that. So she should be out um, I think she Already? was yeah. yeah remarried. But I just read an article about the dad, um, Jimmy Stackhouse, you know, wife murdered, sons killed, all that stuff. He just died, uh, but he shot himself. Man, this family. Right? Yes. So hmm. anyway, uh, here's, in this book, there's a lot of pictures. This is the picture of... Um, uh, Jimmy Stackhouse, so he was the dad, and that's her getting married to Mark. Mm-hmm. And then here's Mark. Um, this was her best friend that finally turned on her. Um, okay, so these are a lot of wedding pictures. Back here is some of the younger pictures of um, the family. So she'd been married several times, too, and... Initially, she had married, um, this is a pastor, his name is Tony, so uh, he's black, Mm -hmm. and she said that she did that to make her dad mad. Mm. But then she ended up marrying somebody else who was uh, black (laughs) also, but... What? (laughs) What? (laughs) So she married Tony, a preacher, just to make her father angry, whether it was because Tony was black and Jimmy flew the rebel flag... Well, for some other reason, no one knew. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like dad was a racist. Uh-huh. <laughs> Quickest way to... Yes, but here she is with her, uh, you know, Miss Washington thing. This was her card for the limo driving. Um, mm-hmm basketball but there were some very unflattering pictures of her they said that she was like a chameleon she could like play the part of whoever she really wanted to play Mm -hmm. and she would gain and lose weight a lot um so this was her i mean just after having a child that kind of makes sense Mm -hmm. um but this was another one of her husband's that he stuck by her even after they divorced. They had the kids together. Um, and then this is Jim. Um, the murderer hmm. actually pulled the trigger. Yeah, it sounds like she was 
trouble. Yes, and wow, it's just really good, Jim. So he he was voted businessman of the year in Punta Gorda, Florida. Houdin was student body president of his high school. He was also an athlete and later a computer genius who sold the software he developed to Bill Gates, Microsoft, for a very high price. Mm-hmm. Man. And then when him and his wife uh, started a business in Florida, but then because he was gone for so long uh, with his girlfriend, Peggy Sue, mm-hmm. it kind of went under. Hmm. Yep. Okay, not kind of, it did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, when you get a girlfriend that only wins money, and you spend all your money on her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and your time, and you're not making anymore. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, this was the ex-wife, Brenna. Wow. And the murder scene. And this was Russ, right? Yeah. Poor Russ. I know. Mm. And he had his own, you know, issues, but um, I think that he was kind of coming out of things and trying to get his life back together, and mm-hmm. she goes and just shoots him, not directly, but... Right. Why would, why would Peggy Sue and Jim shoot him? Just... Yeah. Because she asked? Well, she had to have asked. Right. Because they wouldn't go and shoot him without Uh any other reason. I'm I'm wondering if she had promised them any of that life insurance money. Yeah, I wonder that too. Yeah. They didn't get it, but... Yeah. I wonder if they promised it. Regardless, even if she was like, I'll give you X amount of dollars from the life insurance. Mm Mm-hmm. If you go and do this. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's sad, but then it's... It's ridiculous mm-hmm. because she only gets four years. She was the one who kind of mastermind the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And somebody else gets the, the real blame for it. And she gets off. She took advantage of Mark. It just mm-hmm. like, it's like she just takes advantage of, uh, and uses everybody. Yeah. You know, she didn't even marry that guy because she loved him. She just was trying to get back. She was using him to get back at her dad. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. So, the daughters from the first marriage, from Peggy Sue's father's first marriage. Mm-hmm. So, it says here that she, uh, Rhonda researched the story of her mother's murder in California in 1963. She and her sisters, Lana and Brenda, finally learned the truth in 1995 and they located her grave. Mm-hmm. So they didn't even know where she was buried. No, they didn't talk about it. The um, They were afraid to ask questions because they were so young. Mm-hmm. And then the dad just, you know, never wanted to talk about it. Yeah. And so... I mean, I can understand not being like, well, let me tell you how your mom was murdered. Right. But still, like, not even to know where she was buried. Mm-hmm. And they ended up actually finding out about her at a time where the guy was going up for um, appeal. Mm -hmm. And so they were there and were able to speak out against it. And so he did not get, I don't think that was the only reason. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, he, 
he's still in prison. So for her to be stockpiling money and things, mm-hmm. like she knew the marriage wasn't going to last. And no. She had no intention of like being like, okay, I'm going to do my best to make this work because there's a lot of money involved. Right. Based on what Vicky said, uh, which is the the best friend, they started fighting right away, mm-hmm. it seems like. And um, yeah, she was not interested in it. She didn't like being out there in the country either, where he lived and on the ranch. And <laughs> like, what did you think was going to happen? I know, right? That he's going to be like, I have a ranch in New Mexico, but you know what? Let's get an apartment in Vegas and we can just stay here. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so. Wow. That was a crazy story. It is crazy. Everybody, like, gosh, I'm I'm just like that poor family, man. It's touched yes. by death all over. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think she just she just brought stuff on herself. Oh, I yeah. mean, I don't think she, she was so much touched by the. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. No, it seemed like her family and like people that were in her life were the ones that got hurt. Yes, but she was just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, and probably because she was so spoiled mm-hmm. that she thought that she could just have whatever she wanted. Yeah. And I think it was Brenda, the one who had shot herself right before testifying. Mm-hmm. Um, she had lived with Peggy Sue in Vegas for a little while and left because she was afraid of her. And so I think that instead of testifying, mm-hmm. she didn't want to feel that fear and mm-hmm. you know retaliation and all that. The interesting thing is that they ended up, well... They postponed the trial, and part of it, I think, was because of her death, mm-hmm. you know. So, anyway, they she wouldn't, I say she wouldn't have testified, but if it was because of her death, she wouldn't have testified anyway. Uh, but it seems like there was another reason why they had postponed that mm-hmm. also. It's weird, you know, you look at these people in these pictures, and they're like normal. Mm-hmm. It's very scary. That's all I got. I still recommend you reading this book because it's got a lot of details that obviously I couldn't talk about. I mean, just remembering mm-hmm. everything. So it was good. <laughs> it was an easy read too. So it was quick. Cool. Yeah. So I read Shallow Graves, The Hunt for the New Bedford Highway Serial Killer by Maureen Boyle. New Bedford Highway. Where is that? That is in... Massachusetts. Okay. And so these happened in 1988. And basically what happened was they found a dead body on the side of the road off of Highway 195. Okay. And they couldn't really identify it because it had been out there for a while. Um, They did a little search for missing person through the missing persons to see if they could find like someone that matched that description. And from what the coroner said was the time of death and so on. Um, But because they had been out there so long, they got the time of death wrong. And so they were looking at people that had disappeared that wasn't quite lining up. Okay. Um, And then they found another body. And then they found another one. Oh. And so they got um, a guy to come out with his search dog 
Josie. Josie was the search dog. Aww. Yep. And this guy named Andy, he trains them for, you know, to find cadavers Mm -hmm. and bodies and so on. They talk a little bit about that, and it was pretty interesting. She, um, the way he trains them is that once they get a scent of a body and they Mm -hmm. think that this is where, like, this is where you need to look, she'll go to him and want to play. Oh. Like, that's her tell. Like, that's where she'll go over there and she'll start, like, you know, because he's got, like, a ball in his pocket or something, and she'll go and she'll be like, it's time to play. Okay. So she was like, I'll show you where it is, and then we can play. Uh-huh. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, that's neat. So they end up finding nine bodies. Oh, my goodness. Total. And after Josie goes out there a couple of times, I think they found six bodies, maybe seven bodies, like, all together. Mm-hmm. And then they found two more later on. And wow. so they had been killed, like, at different times. Mm-hmm. And so, once they actually figured out that some of the um, the coroner's time of death was wrong, then they could do a little more searching on missing people. Okay. And they all turned out to be um, women that had drug problems mm-hmm. um, and that were prostitutes. Okay. The thing about these women is that they were all, like... They had gotten these drug problems while they were, like, married or had kids or, you know, it wasn't just, like, they went out and Mm -hmm. tried drugs and that was that. Like, they were, like, housewives that suddenly became drug addicted. And in the 80s, I mean, cocaine was huge. Right. So, that happened kind of often. So, all of them were... Um, ladies of the street like they were prostitutes and they were drug addicts and they were the pro- the reason they were prostitutes was so they could get money for their drugs mm-hmm. and they'd lost their families it sounds like um, most of the time yes mm-hmm. like there was a couple that um you know had a relationship or something like that but their kids mainly were with grandma or okay like that yeah and it was all very very sad um, the police, once they realized who these women were, um, they they were always interested in solving the case. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't like, oh my gosh, yeah, whatever, you know, drug addict, prostitute, like yeah, whatever. They were always interested in solving the case. Um, one one detective was the one that pieced it all together. He was like, they all have, like, they were all killed the same way, mm-hmm. and they all have this in common. Hmm. You know, it's like that. It's a pattern. Yeah. And so then he took it to the DA, and the DA was immediately like, "Yep, we need to, we need to find this person. We need to stop this from happening." Mm-hmm. And so they made this like massive task force. Like there was cops from all over the place, state troopers, police officers, detectives from just different areas, mm-hmm. investigators with the DA office, and they were all working together. And they put in a lot of overtime. And then when that money was gone, they were like, well, what are we going to do now? And the DA was like, well, we're just going to have to find more money. It's like, because they were very determined nice. to find the killer. Uh huh. Um, and everybody that they talked about, and they, they talked about several different officers and investigators. So it was a, sometimes it was a little hard for me to keep up 
with who? I'm like, who are you again? Right. (laughs) You work for who? (laughs) But two of the troopers were, um, were they troopers? See, this is what I mean. I don't remember if they were troopers or not. I think they were detectives working in the DA's office. Mm -hmm. So the way that worked out for the DA is that the police department um, would have kind of like a ro- rotation. So the there'd be a few of the officers that would be sent over to the DAs. Mm-hmm. And they would be there doing investigating work for the district attorney. And then after a bit, they'd come back to the department and then other people would move on up to the DA and just kind of do that. So they didn't actually ever stop being police officers. Hmm. Um, so the reason that was kind of important was because at some point the DA had troopers, like mm-hmm. had state troopers that were investigators. Mm-hmm. And when this district attorney, Ronald Pena, uh, be- was elected as the district attorney, he kicked out the state troopers. <gasps> yeah. Because they supported his opponent. Oh my goodness. So he kicked them out. Wow. So now nobody wanted to work with them. And so he ended up having to, like, at some point, one of the chief investigators of the police department that was kind of working with the DA was like, you know, I guess I'll stay on and I'll make sure that we have some people. Mm -hmm. Um, But people were like, oh, no, I don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) That's really sad. I mean, it's affecting justice. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Yep. So he kicked out all the state troopers. You'd think. You'd think. You would have thought he would have tried to win them over. Uh huh. Nope. Okay. Not this guy. He was very, he was very dead set on on like on that on like justice. Mm-hmm. But he was also very uh, petty politically. Okay. You know, yeah. so it, it was it was a very weird thing. Like he was very much like we have to find who's killing these women. I don't care if they're drug addicts. I don't care if they're prostitutes. That's mm-hmm. a human life, and you know. She's dead, and there's all these children now without mothers. Yes. So we have to find this person. But it's also like, oh, you supported my opponent? Get out. <laughs> it's like, how, are, how do you want to solve these if you're kicking people out? Yeah, that is really interesting. <laughs> so, but um, he had, once it became a, a big case, once they realized that there were so many women that, were killed and they Mm -hmm. also suspected that it was by the same person Mm -hmm. because they were all strangled and then left out there left out there just on the side of the road that is awful it is very awful so they investigated um marine boyle picked a couple of women to talk a little bit about their past Mm -hmm. i i don't know why that she picked some women over others. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just like, okay, you know, but she did. So there's more details about a couple of them. Um, so once they, they all got together and they, they made a big task force, they had a, they had a tip line, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marianne Dill and Jose Gonzalez were um they were investigating and they knew a lot of people 
in the street. Like, okay. They, they had a lot of, they had good relationships with the working girls and things like that. So mm-hmm. they would talk to them. And at one point they talked about how they pulled up next to these two girls mm-hmm. on the street and they booked it. Like they started running <laughs> and Jose was like, what, really? <laughs> so he starts chasing after them. Marianne's just waiting by the car. She's just like, this is going to be hilarious. Cause she, the, one of them turns around. She's like, Oh, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I thought you were somebody else. <laughs> so I was running. Hey, wow. no, no, it's just Jose and Marianne. <laughs> so, <laughs> like they, they had, you know, a good relationship with these women and they would tell, uh-huh. you know, tell them things, you know, I heard this and I heard that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also they, would all share stories so like the working girls would be like so there's a guy that comes in a white truck don't get into that truck that guy's weird or he's crazy he tried to choke me Mm. Um, that kind of thing yeah they would they would talk to each other and just be like you know but if you have an addiction problem and you you start you start going into withdrawal and you're like i don't care yeah it's gonna give me money or you don't even think about it and so they tried to keep each other safe, mm-hmm. but that didn't always work out. Um, so they had a tip line. And every morning they had to go in and, you know, go through the calls and go through the tips. Um, some of them were plausible and some of them were preposterous. Then <laughs> <laughs> she gives a little sample of what some of them were. Um, my ex-husband did it. He was always weird. <laughs> Okay. It was a trucker. The missing bodies are in the ocean. I had a vision about the killer. (laughs) I saw something on TV about a similar case. You should check it out. (laughs) My ex-boyfriend picks up hookers. I think he did it. Oh. There's a white truck that's always around picking up girls. There's a guy out there beating up the girls, I heard. Nice. I heard someone talking saying the killer is a fisherman. Check it out. <laughs> I heard the killer is a truck driver. So they would, you know, go through them. If there was something they could follow up with, they mm-hmm. would follow up. At one point, Marianne talks about how they've gotten several calls from different psychics. She received a cassette tape from one psychic mm-hmm. where they were like detailing things. And she was like... <sighs> She listened to it because she had to listen to it, of course. She was Uh like, you never know. She's like, you never know. It could be someone that actually knows something but doesn't want to say I know something. So instead, I'm going to say that I'm a psychic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there might be a little thing here or there. Yeah. So she listens to it anyway. But that kind of thing. And I'm just like, oh, the 80s and the psychics. (laughs) Yes. They're everywhere. Let's see. So at some point... uh, the DA, Pena, he, because they, they met pretty often mm-hmm. to talk about, this is what we found out, this is what we heard, and so on. And there were several different suspects that seemed good. Like, like these are all good leads that we should follow up on. Mm-hmm. And the DA really kind of focused on Kenneth Ponte. Okay. And he was, he was a local lawyer. He... Uh, actually represented or had dealings with like three or four of the girls. Wow. But because he had a huge cocaine problem, mm-hmm. he actually probably knew all of them. Yeah. And so what he would do 
is he would pick them up, pick up a girl, mm-hmm. take her back to his house. He would always have, you know, a bunch of cocaine. Mm-hmm. And they, of course, went with him because he had a bunch of cocaine. Yeah. He didn't want to have sex. Like, he didn't want to get high alone. Uh-huh. And he he preferred to shoot up the cocaine, uh-huh. but he didn't want to actually shoot himself up. Oh. So the girls would shoot him up uh-huh. in the neck. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's... That's not even the weirdest thing about Kenneth Ponte. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just like, what? Okay. Yeah. So he would pick them up. They would go over there. They would shoot him up in the neck. Uh-huh. A lot of the girls were like, because he he was a huge addict. And so a lot of times the girls were like, I don't want to shoot you up because this is a lot of cocaine. And what if I kill you? Oh. And he was fine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And so what would happen, though, is after he would shoot up, he would get really paranoid. And so he would lock the doors, wouldn't let the girls leave. Uh-huh. They would be there for days. Oh, my goodness. But it was a constant getting high and so uh-huh. on. So most of the time they didn't care. Okay. Like, he would lock the doors and be like, you can't leave. Uh-huh. And they're like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, though, they were like, I want to go. This is getting weird. And he's like, you can't leave. And then he would make them stay. Okay. So it wasn't that he wasn't nonviolent. Uh-huh. Just most of the time he didn't have to resort to violence. Oh. So they would come over. They would stay for days. Mm-hmm. They would get all, they'd get high for most of that. Um, at one point, he had them... Like, he would have them strip and things like that, but, again, he wasn't really interested in having sex with them. Mm-hmm. Like, he just really kind of wanted the company. That's weird. Very weird. Okay. <laughs> like, he's just, like, he just wanted them around. Yeah. Um, at one point, because he is a lawyer and he, you know, does work with people and he does work with the police occasionally. Um, at some point, he had been, I think before he had his huge cocaine problem, he had been deputized. Oh. And so he uh, would flash his badge occasionally. But then as he got more of a problem, more of a problem, he kind of stopped doing that because he didn't, I mean, the police could come and get him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he was just kind of, kind of chilled a little on that, but they knew him. Uh huh. So at one point, January of 1984, let's see, um, the lawyer had called New Bedford Detective Paul Boudreau asking for help. And so he wanted to know if Paul knew anything about videos and video equipment because he needed to check something out. He said that a a film he had rented keeps changing. It shows people being killed. And so Paul was like, Paul didn't really know much about videos or video tape recorders or equipment or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but Paul, who was a New Bedford detective, also owned two video stores. Oh. Yeah. So he was like, okay, well, that's kind of weird. Let me, you know, I'm going to go over. And he went over with a, a few people to to Ponty's house. And he was wired and jumpy and he was talking really fast. And so he was probably really high. Mm-hmm. Um, so he tells him that he rented this tape. It was Porky's. <laughs> okay. And so he put it in 
into his, you know, the VCR player and on his big screen TV and they were watching it and he was like, okay, get ready. I'm going to play it in slow motion. And so they're like, okay. And he would like play it in slow motion and then he would say, did you see it? Did you see it change? And they were like, what what are we seeing like they were just oh, like it's porkies yeah <laughs> like but he kept thinking that someone had like spliced another movie in there or that they had recorded over something that didn't record right but he kept seeing like weird things when he played it in slow motion and there was nothing there okay why would you ever play it in slow motion first of all who knows <laughs> okay yeah anyway okay well you know he could have been really high when he was watching and he's like what was that yeah and so then went back and then played it in slow motion and then thought he saw yeah whatever okay um and so paul was just like what are you talking about we don't see anything and he like he froze one of the frames and he was like see the women being raped see them hung upside down and their heads cut off one by one he started the film again see See, they're killing the babies. And they're just like, what are you talking about? There's nothing there. Oh, wow. And I'm like, these are cops. Yeah. (laughs) And the cops should be like, "Uh, we need to take you in and have you tested. Yeah, there's there's something wrong. (laughs) And so, like, Paul moved closer to the television. Where? Kenny, where? And he's just like, there, see? And look at the babies. And he's just like, nope, I don't see anything. Um. But yeah, it was like four of them. And they just kind of thought it was funny. Like they took the video. Paul took the video. They left. And they were like trying not to laugh in Kenny's face. Uh-huh. Um, then they left. Paul took the video and like took it home. And like he tried to watch it himself, you know, in slow motion and so on. Uh-huh. Just to see if there was anything there at all that might trigger something yeah. in Kenny. But he couldn't see anything the tape was fine it was just porkies wow <laughs> so, <laughs> huh. okay so kenny's kenny's weird and um so there was kenny and he the detect not the detective uh the da like really focused in on kenny and really thought that it was kenny who did it um but there wasn't a lot of evidence like there wasn't a lot of evidence period Mm -hmm. like to really be like oh yeah it was totally kenny or it was one of these other guys that was investigated because they did investigate other people Mm -hmm. like the police didn't focus in on one person and then try to make the evidence fit Uh they were like well we've heard stories about this guy that goes around in a white truck picks up prostitutes and chokes them Mm -hmm. rapes them beats them steals their money it's like that's a different guy that's not kenny yeah um kenny did get violent but like not that anybody reported him like trying to choke them or anything like that mm-hmm. he threatened people but hmm. you, who knows like who knows with kenny yeah um and so the first part of this book kind of talks about kenny and i was just like do you think kenny did it or didn't because there was parts where i was like okay, I can see where where you're building the case about Kenny. And mm-hmm. then, like, she would just kind of flip. And so I was like, all right, so so who did it? Yeah. Um, Kenny, the, the district attorney really focused on him and then started talking to the media about Kenny. And, like, 
basically threw him out there as this is the guy that did it, but we can't really hmm. like find all the evidence. And so it became, it became a thing. Like mm-hmm. it, be, it was huge. Cause I mean, obviously like nine women yeah. in total were found and they had all been murdered. And so the district attorney is basically saying, we think it was Kenny, yeah, but we can't really prove it. And so there's, oh my gosh, there's so much wrong with that. Oh yeah. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And he like, he did that a lot and he kept this going for quite some time. And Kenny was just, he was messed up. Like there's no denying that Kenny was messed up. Yeah. Um, and the more that they found out about Kenny, like, the, the weirder he was. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, that little bit that I just told you was weird. Yes. I was like, but he was, he was weird. Um, he would take, like, he got, like, the whole thing about, like, seeing things in the video. Mm-hmm. Like, that became a thing with him. Like, he would talk about um, snuff films, mm-hmm. about pornos that were being made with these women and it was just like what are you talking about but they couldn't find anything like that yeah and so at one point he had a woman staying with him um again one of those things where she um he picked her up and she was staying for the long stay whether she wanted to or not (laughs) (laughs) and so you know he would he would have her shoot shoot him up with coke. He would get paranoid. He would think someone was hiding behind the couch. And she was just, you know, she would be there for a really long time. Like, she knew she couldn't go anywhere. Uh-huh. Um, she knew that he, he didn't like for them to leave the house. Sometimes he would bolt the doors to make sure that they didn't. He would always ask the girls to shoot him up with coke, usually in the neck. He would have them strip. He would wander around his house in the in his underwear, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, at one point, one of them, her name was Violet, thought that she was going to kill him because there was just so much cocaine that she was. He was asking her to shoot up yeah. into his neck. Um, he chased her around a table in the house a couple of times. <laughs> um, again, wasn't interested. Insects just in the Coke and company. Mm-hmm. Like, um, he he was weird, but she thought he seemed a little bit lonely. Like, yeah. he, he seemed like he was just lonely. Um, he wanted to watch a movie. She wasn't interested. She wanted to get high. So he slipped the videotape into the VCR. And that's pretty much where she starts seeing a snuff film. Okay. And she's just like, turn that off. And he's like, no, I want you to see this. And she's like, I don't want to see expletive. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he turned it off. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, she did, when the police were talking to her, like, she told him about that. Mm-hmm. And she's all like, I don't know who it was. Like, there was a guy strangling a woman with a belt. Like, I don't know if it was real. I don't know what. Like, I told him to turn it off. And he turned it off. Yeah. So, Jose had to go to, like the video stores and ask them to like turn over all their porn because he was going to have to watch them all. <laughs> see if There was a snuff film in there. <laughs> I was like, Oh, poor dude. Cause he was just like, this is not fun. <laughs> He's like, this is awful. 
<laughs> but they kept hearing these stories from different people that <laughs> like Kenny had snuff films. Hmm. So they were like, okay, well, is this just something that he found, you know, or was he making them? Like, who knows? They never found anything is the thing. Yeah. So at some point, um, the district attorney is up for re-election and he loses mainly because of this this case like he can't get it off the ground mm-hmm. he's out there blaming kenny but they can't indict him or anything like that um kenny is nuts and so he's constantly calling the radio stations the <sighs> newspapers oh the tv like he's just like let me tell you and <laughs> so then and he would always be like this is off the record right and sometimes they'd be like no this is not off the record. <laughs> You're on the radio. Right. <laughs> Everybody is listening to you right now. This is the record. <laughs> so he would go off about the DA and how they were trying to frame him and they were trying to pin these murders on him and he didn't do it. But, you know, at some point before they really tried to, um, they were really focused in on him when the DA really focused in on him. He moved to Florida and they were like, that seems suspicious. Uh-huh. And so when he would get on the radio, he'd be like, they're trying to make this like me moving to Florida. Like I was running away from something. He's like, but if you ask anybody, I'd been talking about leaving New Bedford forever and moving to Florida. Uh-huh. Like this was just a coincidence that this is when I finally did it. Yeah. Like, but I'd been talking about it forever, like trying to get a fresh start and trying to get out of here and, so on okay so there was a lot of this and that like Uh okay like i see where the da is like i don't know man like he's crazy he's he knows all of these prostitutes like he knows them all yeah like he defended or represented like two or three of them but at some point he had contact with all of these women yeah and he's weird (laughs) i'm like how can he carry on a legal business with probably not well being, yeah being <laughs> odd. okay so he ends up losing and another da takes over the police um weren't necessarily like kenny didn't do it but they were also like there was a couple of other people that seemed like they could have done it too. Mm-hmm. Like they weren't ruling out Kenny. There wasn't really any way to rule him out. Yeah. But there wasn't really any way to say he's the one that did it. Okay. Um, this was a pretty funny story. So again, there was several different troopers and detectives and like everybody was working on this case. Mm-hmm. And there was a trooper named Kevin Butler and a female colleague were interviewing a new Bedford prostitute. The woman was sitting in the office Let's see. She knew the drug scene. She knew Kenny Ponte. Uh, she knew about the women who had been assaulted by Johns in the past. So she appeared to be a credible witness who remember details and mm-hmm. sometimes um, dates roughly. Like mm-hmm. she seemed like she might have some information. So he was interviewing her. And despite the drug use, she seemed like she might have some information mm-hmm. and so these two were interviewing her um jose was like there in the building and when he walked by like he, he could hear them talking and so when he walked by he noticed that 
uh, Trooper Kevin was like deliberately looking away from the woman, like I'm not, I'm not gonna look at you, mm-hmm. while the female trooper just looked bemused. She was just like, and so he was like, "What's going on in there?" So he like, you know, peeks in. Uh, the witness was nervously crossing and uncrossing her legs. Uh-huh. She wasn't wearing underwear. Oh. <laughs> and so <laughs> Trooper Kevin was like, nope. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the female was just like, yeah, whatever. whatever. Yes. <laughs> like, look at Kevin. He's hilarious. <laughs> and he was later on, like years later, he would be reminded of that story whenever he saw Basic Instinct. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. Yep. So Kenny was a good was a good suspect, but the police were really getting a lot more information about a guy named Tony. There was two sets of pictures in in my book, like early on, and then Mm -hmm. later down here there was another. Anthony de Grazia. Um, he went by Tony. He was fairly young. Um, so I went back and forth between feeling sorry for Tony and mm-hmm. not feeling sorry for Tony. Okay. So Tony was young. He had a girlfriend for about nine years mm-hmm. and they split up. Okay. And that's pretty much when he started kind of picking up prostitutes. Okay. Um, but whenever the prostitutes talked about a guy that would pick them up and strangle them, it was Tony. He had been in, uh, arrested a couple of times for assault. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, they couldn't pinpoint anything on him as being the killer of these women. Mm-hmm. Like he would pick up prostitutes. He would strangle them, um, rape them, beat them. But they couldn't prove that he was killing them. Wow. Um, so... One of the reasons that I kept feeling kind of sorry for Tony was they couldn't really find any evidence. They had a lot of talk mm-hmm. from the from the prostitutes, mm-hmm. uh, but they never really found anything on him, like concrete evidence on him. And not that I'm saying that the prostitutes were lying. Like right. they all had the same story about the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> so They just needed an yeah. eyewitness kind of stuff. They yeah. needed proof. Yeah. And so at some point, though, he seemed like whatever troubles he was having because it seemed like it was more of a mental illness thing Mm -hmm. because he ended up in the hospital and he ended up trying to get like he ended up in a psychiatric hospital okay um and trying to get treatment and then when he got out of the psychiatric hospital like he started a business and it started doing well and he was going to church like he'd always been like a catholic and like really into his church Mm -hmm. and so the person that was helping him a lot was the the priest Okay. They're that parish priest and like he seemed like he was really trying to get his life back together um he wanted to get back with his girlfriend the girlfriend did not want to get back together with him she was like you know we can be friends but mm-hmm. i can't be with you and so it seemed to like really affect him that she didn't want to get back together like this is the person that he he really loved and she didn't want to be with him yeah and so that would spiral into picking up prostitutes and hurting them. And and it seemed more like a, he was angry with her, Mm -hmm. but wasn't going to do anything to her. So he picked someone very vulnerable that he could. Yeah. Um, 
And so it went back and forth with that. Kenny was in Florida trying to get his life back together. But of course, um, before the DA lost the election, like he was bringing in all kinds of people to talk to the grand jury and they were trying to get an indictment on him. Mm -hmm. Um, Really what they were doing was that they were trying to get an indictment on Kenny. They were trying to just basically present all this evidence to the grand jury and seeing if they could get an indictment on someone. Okay. So they had some evidence on Anthony. They had some evidence on Kenny and Neil Anderson. He was also accused of raping prostitutes and he was later convicted of doing that, okay. not of being the serial killer. Mm-hmm. He was one of the earlier suspects in the case, too. Like, they had three suspects that they just couldn't Never find. Any, yeah, they couldn't find any evidence. Huh. So, <laughs> at some point, Kenny gets himself a really good lawyer because he's the one that's really being kind of dragged dragged through everything mm-hmm. the police are focusing a little more on anthony than they are on kenny okay but the da is focused on kenny <sighs> okay yeah um so he would um so one of the things one of the things that kenny said was one of the reasons that the da that ronald pena was out to get him was that because he um, he was very vocal about Ronald Pena's wife, his new wife. Mm-hmm. She was a local news anchor. Okay. And before they got married, they were engaged. Before mm-hmm. they got married, she was found in the trunk of her car. And she claimed that she had been abducted. Mm-hmm. That someone had gotten into her car. Like she had stopped at a stoplight. Someone had gotten into her car, mm-hmm. forced her to drive somewhere else, and then put her in the trunk of the car. Okay. There was no evidence to support any of that. She was a drunk. Oh. Yeah. The police, when they, you know, when they got, when they found her and they got the report and all that, they thought, Someone tried to hurt her. Someone tried to hurt Sheila. Uh And so they investigated and they investigated and they investigated. And then they were like, okay, so the more we dig into this case, the more it seems like it's all made up. Yeah. And so this also didn't help with the DA because he kind of took it as, you know, the cops that I kicked out aren't doing their job. and, Mm -hmm. And so, but it was just like, uh, Sheila made it up. <laughs> so she really wasn't in the trunk of her car? Oh, no, she was in the trunk of her car. How did she get there? She just got into the trunk of her car and closed it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she didn't want to, didn't trust herself driving, so I'm just going to close myself in the trunk of my car. No, I don't know. Who it's knows? Just, oh, Who knows? Craziness. Okay. Who knows why she did it? So that was never discussed, the no. why of it. Okay. No. <laughs> I don't think you could ever get Sheila to admit that she did it herself. Yeah. Like, she was always like, nope, someone abducted me. Yeah. I don't care what your evidence shows. <laughs> well, you're pretty lucky that that's all they did. Uh-huh. Okay. So, Kenny was very lo- vocal about uh, about Sheila. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when he would call, like, the radio stations and stuff like that, he would make allegations about the DA's second wife. Questioned the validity of her widely questioned reported abduction two years earlier 
and her struggles with sobriety. He even created bumper stickers asking, who put Sheila in the trunk? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I mean, that's pretty dedicated. Oh, yes. (laughs) I was like, that's amazing. (laughs) Now, every time I have a petty problem, I am going to create bumper stickers. (laughs) Well, that wasn't even his problem. (laughs) No. No. I mean, he was like, this guy's coming after me. So that's true. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to say some things. Yeah. Bumper stickers. (laughs) And give them to everybody. Yes. I was like, that's hilarious. Oh, I'm going to have to tell Ken, uh, I'm gonna have to tell Chris this about Kenny here in a second. Um, so at some point, all this is going on. Kenny's in Florida. He's gotten himself a new lawyer who later on in his career mm-hmm. is huge. Like he becomes a, a great attorney, a great defense attorney, and he's he's big. Okay. Um, at this time, he's kind of starting out. He's still good. Mm-hmm. Like he's still a good lawyer, but he's not this, you know, widely recognized named in the area. Yeah. Okay. And so he takes Ken- Kenny's case, and um, he his lawyer gets a call from a woman named Diane Doherty, who claims that. She was living in Lynn, Massachusetts, and she was living next door to Charles Dana Kuhn, and he, I believe, was an investigator. He was a private investigator. Mm -hmm. And so she was living next door to him. Um, She had a daughter. And at some point, she was talking about how she had gotten another place to live and they were going to move out because she was um, she was about to be evicted. And so she said that she found another place to live um, and they were going to move out, but the apartment wasn't going to be ready until, like, November 1st. And this was, you know, October 26th. And mm-hmm. so she was like, but, you know, they're going to kick me out. I already found another place to live, but I need to stay somewhere for these next few days because the apartment isn't going to be ready until November 1st. Okay. So he eventually gives in and says, you can stay in my spare room. You and your daughter Mm -hmm. can stay in my spare room until the apartment's ready. Okay. There was no apartment. (laughs) Gosh. Okay. Uh, So she ends up staying with him for a, for a bit. He's by all accounts, just a nice dude. Uh Like he doesn't want her there. Like after like November 1st comes around and, She's still there. So she's still there and not making any, like, it doesn't look like she's moving out anytime soon. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> Took that hook line and sinker. It's like, dang. You know, but I mean, it's a woman with her kid. Right. And you're like, I don't want her living in, like out there in the streets. Mm-hmm. And so if I can help her out. It turns out this woman is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but at least not like a violent crazy. So anyway, so she's staying there with him and they're watching television a few weeks after she was supposed to have moved out (laughs) and she was still staying there temporarily. Oh my gosh. (laughs) They see a news report on the, on TV and it's about the highway killings Mm -hmm. Um, and they show Kenny and she says, gee, Kenny looks very good. And so he's like, what? what are you talking about? And then she, he remembers that she had mentioned earlier that she knew a man named 
Kenny Ponte. Mm-hmm. Um, he couldn't really remember what they were talking about or why she brought him up. But, you know, now she's like, oh, man, Kenny looks good. And so he was like, what do you mean? And yeah, she was just like, oh, you know, nothing. I just I just knew Kenny back, like, in the summer. Mm-hmm. Dated him for a little bit. Like, it was, it was no big deal. And so he um he kind of you know asks a little bit more and so she finally tells him that kenny had told her and a friend of hers leslie Mello, who she had shared a cell with in the women's state prison okay and she was over at leslie's house and kenny was there and kenny told them he had killed six of the women found along the highway and so he was like well, what have you done about this? And she was like, I like Kenny. Oh like, my I'm gosh. I'm going to go to the cops. And so, and then she was like, but he, you know, he has powerful friends. And what if he'd like try to hurt me? And so eventually the private investigator like called the detectives and he was like, this woman told me this. And so then they were like, well, you know, do you think you can get her to tell it to us? Mm-hmm. And so... He later told the district attorney, probably the most difficult person I've ever tried to interview in my life. (laughs) (laughs) And so, like, eventually she did move out. Okay. She did find a place. She did move out. He tried to get more information. um, And then she completely, like, backtracked. Yeah. I didn't say that. I don't know what he's talking about. You know, I didn't even know Kenny. And so on. Yeah. So she contacts Kenny's attorney, mm-hmm. basically saying that this guy, who was a private investigator, and the cops were trying to force her to say that Kenny had confessed to her. Hmm. And so the lawyer was like, all righty. Well, you know, he meets with her um, to see what, what it is that she's saying. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he, Kevin Reddington was Kenny's lawyer. Um, he meets with her, listened to her tale, and knew within minutes his client needed to stay away from this woman. <laughs> Far away. It's like, this lady is crazy. And Leslie, like, because they did talk to Leslie, she was like, that's expletive. Like, oh. none of it happened. Kenny's lawyer, his attempt to get Kenny to not talk with this woman or meet this woman uh failed miserably because she wrote him a letter oh she wrote kenny a letter uh-huh. telling him that let's see she claimed that she was being pressured to say he confessed to the killings um he wrote him a letter and she was going to come visit him in florida and so, he he didn't mention that to his lawyer. Mm-hmm. So, he drove to the airport to pick up Diane Doherty. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he wasn't sure what to expect. She had contact, contacted him out of the blue in a letter. They wound up talking quite a bit on the phone. She seemed sincere and nice. There wasn't anything to change that opinion when he finally met her and drove her back to his house. She was petite and blonde and kind of cute. So maybe life would finally get a little better for old Kenny in Florida. They both sound crazy. They're both nuts. Think they're made for each other. <laughs> okay. 
Oh, uh, when she got there to the house, and once they got back to the house, Kenny told his lawyer about his little visitor, and his lawyer says, "You're out of your mind. <laughs> Stay away from her." <laughs> Kenny did not listen. Oh my gosh, again. <laughs> oh, Kenny. <laughs> too much too many drugs, Kenny. Um so things got really bad for him in Florida. His roommate and friend had been arrested for other stuff that he had done. Mm-hmm. And so he told police, let's see. Oh, so he was living with, um, next door, there was a woman who his friend and roommate had been dating. Okay. And so she told police that Kenny tried to run her down in the driveway after they argued about a $50 deposit that she had put down on the duplex because they were living next door. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. When he heard about the allegations, Kenny turned himself in, like he was charged with careless driving, leaving the scene of an accident. Um, Diane was with him. She was wanted in Massachusetts for a probation violation on a larceny charge. Uh-huh. Um, and she was taken into custody. Okay. So, so the neighbor basically said, Kenny tried to run me over, over $50. Uh-huh. Kenny's like, What? Well, I'm just going to go and turn myself in because I don't want this to be a thing. Yeah. Diane, who has warrants out, was, I'll go with you. (laughs) (laughs) So she gets arrested. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. After she was arrested, she told Port Ritchie police a horrifying tale of how Kenny choked her and threatened her at gunpoint during her visit. Ooh. She said she had gone to Florida to marry Kenny. A man she said she had known for at least four months. Kenny was hit with new charges, aggravated battery, aggravated assault, false imprisonment, use of a firearm during the commission of a felony. And a few days later, Diane recanted. Oh, my gosh. Then a few days later, she recanted the recantation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's really believable. Uh Uh-huh. She is nuts. Kenny's lawyer in Florida quit. (laughs) Good for him. He was just like, I'm out. (laughs) The lawyer in Massachusetts, Kevin in Massachusetts, is just like, oh my God, what? (laughs) Like, it's just like, what did I tell you? It's supposed to stay away from her. She was crazy. Uh, So, there they are, just trying to get him a. Eventually, Kenny does get indicted. Everything about this, everything about Kenny is just hilarious. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he finally does get indicted. Uh-huh. So he, um, his lawyer, Kevin, had heard from someone that he knows that the indictment was coming down. Kenny mm-hmm. was going to get indicted. So he called Kenny and he's all like, you have to get back up here to Massachusetts. It's best... If when you're indicted, you're there and they don't have to go to Florida and get you or anything like that. It shows that, you know, you're willing to cooperate. It shows that you have nothing to hide, Mm -hmm. you know, but if they have to go get you and then drag you back over here in handcuffs, like, yeah, it's, it's going to look worse. Mm -hmm. So he goes back at some point, um, he tells someone 
his buddy's girlfriend who rented his duplex next door in Florida, the one that claimed what he tried to run her over, mm-hmm. told a grand jury in Massachusetts that Kenny threatened to shoot the prosecutor and harm both his daughters and his second wife. If he had to wait on Rockdale Avenue until you came out of the house, he'd blow your brains out there. Because his life was over with anyway. And if you didn't come out of the house, he'd just shoot through the window and he didn't care if he harmed Sheila or the kid. Johnson quoted him as saying. Hmm. So they put the prosecutor's house under a 24-hour watch throughout the weekend. Um, his daughter stayed with a friend. He got a restraining order against Kenny. And this was all during Christmas time. Wow. So Kenny was supposed to come back um, to visit his mom for Christmas mm-hmm. anyway. And then when the indictment and all that came through, this was before he got indicted, actually. He was supposed to come visit for Christmas, and they were still doing grand jury testimony. So when she told them that, he got a restraining order against Kenny, got, was under, um, was under watch, the house was under watch. So he was, Kenny was ordered to stay 1,000 feet from the district attorney, his family, or his employees. Okay. Um, that meant Kenny couldn't come home for Christmas, why, you might ask? <laughs> well, it turns out that Kenny's mother lived next door to Ron Pena, the what? DA, and the houses were 25 feet apart. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so Kenny couldn't come home for Christmas. <laughs> Poor Kenny. Just like, my gosh. (laughs) Kenny can't catch a break. No, he can't. So one of the main reasons that the DA really focused on Kenny Mm -hmm. was because of one woman in particular, Mm -hmm. um, Rochelle Dopiorella. She stayed with Kenny and not just in the like, we're going to get high and you can't leave for a few days. Stay with Kenny. But yeah. like she stayed with him. Like okay. she lived with him for a while until she like took off with his VCR and stuff. <laughs> uh, Kenny wasn't happy about that. Right? <laughs> My VCR. It's the 80s. This is awesome. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sure in the 80s, VCRs were expensive. Yes, they were. <laughs> so she um, she lived with him for for a while until she took off and um there had been a witness that so he not only knew rochelle but he had lived with her had some kind of relationship with her Mm -hmm. and then when she ran off with his stuff like he made threats and and so on okay and she was one of the women that was found next to the highway so that was like really why they were kind of why the da was really kind of focused on Mm -hmm. him for that yeah but there wasn't really like there wasn't really anything any evidence one way or the other really Uh um so oh so diane let's go back to diane okay diane the crazy person um she claimed that kenny Oh, the part that I was going to tell Chris is that Kenny loves cats. Oh. <laughs> He's not. Kenny loves cats. 
he has a bunch of cats. He loves them. And those are his, those are his cats. Um, and Diane is sitting here telling the grand jury that Kenny had cats named Rochelle, Robin, and Nancy. Ooh. Which were all names of victims. Yeah. And the ones that they, he knew, that uh. he personally knew, that they knew that he knew. Yeah. Um, <sighs> names of the three dead women. That's creepy. If it's true. Well, that's true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Okay. At this point, everything that Diane says, I'm like, mm, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How could you make that up, though? <laughs> uh, she could, I guess. She could. Yeah. Okay. She could make up all kinds of things. <laughs> this woman. She claimed that Kenny confessed to murder. Then she claimed that he didn't. Like, you know, just her standard, her standard thing. Mm-hmm. This is what she does. She claimed that he uh, tried to choke her. While they were in bed together, threatened her with a gun, all that kind of stuff. Um, she said it was all very upsetting. She also said she loved Kenny and planned to marry him. <laughs> Even though he's never asked me. It, yes. And I lied about him. Yeah. I'm sure he'll still want to marry me. Yes. I'm sure. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. Some of her testimony here. And I was crying and talking to him and everything. And he told me if I, you know, didn't stop crying and everything, that I would be like that. He used a swear word. It begins with a C. And then he called me like that Rochelle. Uh, (laughs) I'm like, all right, Diane. (laughs) She's got enough truth in there that makes you Uh believe her. Yeah. So, so they did indict Kenny. Um, let's see. So she did put here a little bit of the facts. Um, these were the facts that had to do with Rochelle. Mm-hmm. Rochelle was living with Kenny. Rochelle was set to testify against Kenny in an upcoming gun case. Oh, that was it. That, that's where he threatened her. Um, she had told Kenny that a man had raped her. Mm-hmm. So Kenny got a gun, went and found the guy, pointed the gun at him, threatened him. If you ever come near her again, I'll shoot you. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she, um, when the cops were basically trying to get him for gun possession and threat and all that, mm-hmm. she was going to testify against him. Okay. She was seen two weeks later walking down the street. Um, Let's see, with the boyfriend of another highway killing victim. So she was actually friends with Nancy. That's how Nancy knew Kenny. Okay. Kenny drove Rochelle to the Cape and back sometime in April. Kenny drove Rochelle to a mobile home where she visited an older man in April. He waited outside until she came out and they both drove off together. Hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see, a woman who used to sell drugs in Well Square heard Kenny threaten Rochelle. In April of 1988, uh, Rochelle was not seen alive by anyone else after April of 1988. Hmm. Diane Doherty alleged Kenny confessed and claimed the attorney possessed a snuff film. Okay. So these were, this is pretty much what they had for the grand jury. All of this seems to me like good reason that he killed Rochelle. Right. And not eight other women. Yes. But... 
they were kind of putting it all together. Right. So the grand jury indicted him for Rochelle's death. Okay. As, as that. Um, and so, the, you know, when he was going to be indicted, uh, Kevin, his lawyer, called him, told him to meet him up at Dunkin' Donuts, uh, wear a suit. He was like, you're about to be indicted, and it's best if we're there when they hand out the indictment. That way we can go ahead and get you arraigned and all that quickly, and that way it looks like you're not hiding anything. Mm-hmm. Well, that would have worked out super great, except that Ron Pena um, made sure that the indictment was withheld for a few days. So they gave it to the judge. He asked for the judge to withhold it. The judge thought that it was because they had to go get Kenny from somewhere. So he's like, okay. Uh-huh. He, the judge didn't know that Kenny was there waiting. Um, Ron Pena did. Uh-huh. So it made it look like, you know, Kenny wasn't there. Yeah. So everybody was irritated, including <laughs> the judge. <laughs> he was just like, what? Uh-huh. Um, he, Kevin wanted to talk to, uh, the DA, the DA told him that he would have to talk to him later. Um, he needed to talk with the families first of the victims. And basically he went and told them, um, that they were really only going to be trying Kenny for Rochelle's death. Um, it was really the one that he thought that he could prove Mm -hmm. and he was, basically really sorry that they couldn't try him for everybody but um if something happened and they didn't convict him for rochelle then they could still go at him for Mm. one of the other murders if they could get more evidence but he felt confident that they could convict him for rochelle's okay um they for the most part seemed like they were okay with that um one of the women's sisters kind of felt like it wasn't really justice but you know i know sometimes you have to do the best you can Mm -hmm. yeah and it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of evidence um so then the da lost his re-election and the new da decided to appoint a special prosecutor because he was like i don't there's a lot of information here mm-hmm. and I don't really, he was like, I don't really want to drop it because that would look bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was like, I'll get a special prosecutor to look at all the evidence and decide if this is something he wants to pursue mm-hmm. or not. And so he hired um, a special prosecutor to come in and take a look. And he spoke with all the, he spoke with the detectives all the ones that worked on it really closely and they told him everything, gave him all the evidence. They didn't say one way or the other. Um, with Ronald Pena, they had voiced their concerns about Kenny. They mm-hmm. were like, we don't think he's the guy. We don't think you should continue to pursue an indictment on him. We don't think he's the one that did it. Okay. And he continued on. So with the special prosecutor, they were like, here's all the information. This is everything we got. And we're not telling you one way or the other. Like, we're not telling you who we think it is. Mm-hmm. And so they just gave him all the information. Um, he was really, really impressed. He was really impressed with all the hard work that they did, all the evidence that they gathered, um, that they didn't give him any opinions 
one way or the other. They were just mm-hmm. like, here's all the information and you have to, you have to decide what you want to do with that. Yeah. Um, he decided to drop the indictment on Kenny because there just wasn't enough evidence. Mm-hmm. And so they dropped it. Um, Even he, for Rochelle. For, yeah. Well, I guess that's all he was indicted for. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. And so, as he was looking at all of the evidence, even and before he decided to publicly say we're dropping the charges on Kenny Ponte, mm-hmm. um, he was really looking hard at Tony DeGrazia, at uh, Tony. Okay. And he seemed like a more of a of a suspect mm-hmm. for this for the serial killings than than Kenny. Um, the families really kind of thought that it was Kenny and maybe because the prosecutor was so sure about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the sister, uh, one of the sisters of one of the victims had gotten really close with Mary Ann and Jose, mm-hmm. um, who were investigating and they had told her that they couldn't tell her one way or the other who they thought it was, mm-hmm. but they were like, but once someone is indicted, if we're there, then you, you know that we agree and we're 100% behind this. Oh. If we're not there, then we don't think that's our guy. Okay. And so when Kenny was indicted, they weren't there. Okay. And she was like, there's something wrong. Yeah. Um, so the special prosecutor was looking really hard at Tony and he was thinking, this is it. Tony was the guy. Mm-hmm. Well, while he's looking at all that up and Tony's out there trying his hardest to get his life back together after getting out of the hospital and starting a business, um, his priest, Father George Harrison, um, did Mass every Sunday. He was there. He, um, the priest thought that he was, you know... He had a lot of spirituality. He was always in church. He was always praying. He thought he was a good guy. Um, He couldn't find work after everything because, you know, there there was a lot of publicity against Kenny, but Mm -hmm. everybody in town knew that these were the people that were being looked at. Yeah. So he was having a hard time getting financially stable. So he asked the priest if he would help him like uh get a loan for a business and lease a truck or something like that because he wanted to do stone work then and his father had taught him how to do that okay a long time ago so the priest was like okay but the second you can get my name off of this stuff you know do so and he yeah. did like hmm. he started making money got everybody out um got the priest's name off of it um th- there was a typo in here so i'm not too sure how it went because she says here by march of 1991 tony had created a new company called colonial stone supply leased a 1990 red ford pickup truck and a mac dump truck and started to work there were three people including tony listed as corporation officers by june of 1990 hmm only tony was listed so i'm not sure if it was june 1991 or if it was March of 1990, mm-hmm. like which years it was. Yeah. But it sounded like within a few months, he was doing well. Good. And he had gotten all those people off as, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 
corporation officers and it was his business now. Um, it looked like he, oh, he went and got the, the way the prostitutes would identify him was not just by his pickup truck, but also by his nose. It looked like he had been a boxer and his nose was flat. Oh. And so that's how they identified him. Uh Uh-huh. So he was really self-conscious about that. And so he got surgery and had that fixed. Oh. So it looked like he was, you know, getting his life back together. Um, He had a new attorney who was basically telling him that he, you know, would either get the charges dropped or be acquitted. Like he was really confident that the charges that he had on assault with these prostitutes, that he could get it dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody that met him thought he was a nice guy. He seemed like he was really upset by the allegations because he, he always claimed that he never did any of those things. And so he just wanted to be cleared and er, like his attorney was just like he was just a nice guy that was caught up in all this stuff and so yes i went kind of back and forth between like poor tony to whatever tony right (laughs) you know it's just like he's getting his life back together and it's like wasn't ten ted bundy really nice exactly (laughs) everybody thought he was like just a gentle polite kid at some point though his business starts to go under and he Mm -hmm. can't afford rent so he asked the parish priest if it's okay if he stays in the rectory for a cup for a little bit until mm-hmm. he can get himself back on his on his feet. Um, the priest was like, "No, I can't really let you do that." Tony kept asking for help, kept asking for help, and so he was finally told them that it was all right if he stayed there for a little bit. Okay. Um, he once the DA finally does drop the charges against Kenny. Mm-hmm. And the police are really focusing more on Tony. Um, there was another report of him attacking another prostitute. Mm-hmm. Um, she had been out there and she got into his truck her boyfriend was nearby taking note of what the truck and the driver looked like wrote down the license plate number Mm -hmm. and just make sure that nothing happened to her and he attacked her she managed to get out of the truck it Every time she tried to unlock the doors and get out, he would lock them back. Mm-hmm. Um, it was automatic. Yeah. So she finally kicked him and she ran. She ran as fast as she could. Um, she got help. They called the police. And the boyfriend, of course, was like, this is who, this is the license plate and all that. Mm-hmm. Because it was registered to his company, they, mm. they found him. Okay. They showed her. They showed both of them a photo array. They said that it looked like this guy. Um, it was an old picture of Tony, and so they were like, "Kind of looks like this guy, but his nose was different." Yeah. Um, then they find the license plate, get the truck number, and all that, and they they find him. So they're going to go and arrest him for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so. 
before they go and arrest him, he's at the, this is November 20th, he's at the church rectory, he's preparing for his sister's wedding the next day, this is Tony, mm-hmm. he's preparing for his sister's wedding the next day, he was going to be doing the readings at the mass and was making sure it was perfect, Father Harrison was eating spaghetti in the den and was about to head out to perform a wedding, and then he was going to go to the wedding rehearsal at 6, that, you know, Tony was, and then mm-hmm. he had mass at seven. So he was pretty busy. Um, the, to- the wedding rehearsal for Tony's sister was at eight. So he said that at seven o'clock when he was heading over to the church to do mass, um, he told Tony to help himself to any of the leftover spaghetti that was on the table. And he went to go do mass. When he... Gets there, he's doing he's doing mass. The police have a have an arrest warrant. They're gonna go get him. Oh no, they don't have an arrest warrant. They're just gonna go arrest him. Um, so they can't actually go into the church. They can't go into the rectory. That's weird. Well, because he's living there. Oh, yeah. So they can't okay. just go and grab him and drag him out. Yeah. They don't have a warrant. Mm-hmm. But if he was outside. <laughs> they could arrest him okay yeah it's a it's a weird thing like the police can't just go into your house i mean i understand that they can't go in and like take stuff and you know all that without a warrant but i didn't know that they couldn't take you they can't arrest arrest you without a warrant if you're in your house they can't never thought much about that i guess if you open the door and they're like we step outside you're like yeah gotcha (laughs) (laughs) note self yeah (laughs) Do you have a warrant? No. A closed door. <laughs> right. <laughs> Come back when you have a warrant. <laughs> so, one of the, I think it was Jose, goes over there to the church, and he's like, look, we, we need to get him. We need to get in. Like, if you let us in, then it's all up and up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's best if we go and we get him and nothing happens to him yeah um so he eventually does agree they can't find him anywhere they don't know where he's at uh-huh he heard them talking outside oh jeez. and so he escaped yeah <laughs> like thin walls uh-huh charges were dropped on kenny they can't find tony anywhere finally he um shows back up Tony shows back up to the priest. Let's see. So he is talking to Father George Harrison. He was in a hurry. Again, this is a very busy priest. (laughs) He's about to leave. Tony was there. And um, he asked him if if he could talk to him. Um, He seemed very depressed. Tony had told him earlier. Oh no! Tony had tried to get to convince his girl, his ex girlfriend, to come back, even though they had been broken up for like over a year. Hmm. At this part, at mm-hmm. this point, um, he was planning on going to college. Like he was trying to get his life back together, and he really just wanted her back. Mm-hmm. And she said no. She was in love, engaged, and pregnant. <laughs> so yep. she was like, nope. Um. She told him that she would always love him as a friend, but they could never be together. Uh, she was starting a new life without him. Mm-hmm. And so 
he was basically telling the priest that, you know, he just couldn't believe it. And the Father Harrison is like, TikTok, man, I got to go. <laughs> I'm so sorry for you. Wow. I got to run. Yeah. <laughs> I had a jet. <laughs> so he left. And Tony... Tony was found at his ex-girlfriend's parents' house. He had killed himself. Oh. He was outside Mm -hmm. on their picnic table and he was dead. Oh, wow. So when Jose Gonzalez got there, he could see that, you know, Tony was wearing a gold chain and cross around his neck. He had a rosary in his front jeans pocket. Mm -hmm. Um. He had taken basically all of his antidepressants and wow. and died. The, the new DA and the special prosecutor publicly said that they had been planning on going after Tony. Okay. And it's just like, really? After he's dead? Mm-hmm. That's what you're publicly saying? Yeah. Uh, it seemed like they were trying to save face. Yeah. And um, let's see, the timing of Tony's death shortly after the announcement that the murder indictment would be dropped was just too coincidental. Like it was Mm -hmm. like, it's not that like he committed suicide because he couldn't get his girlfriend back and he just couldn't get his life back together. Yeah. Um, So Kenny... Tried to revive his law practice. Mm-hmm. Could not. There's just no way. Mm-hmm. Um, he also never kicked his addiction. Oh. Like, he stayed addicted. Yeah. By the late 1990s, Kenny Ponte was living in a single-story home um, on Austin Street that was owned by his mother, trying to eke out a living as an attorney in his hometown. He sued Ronald Pena on behalf of Tony DeGracia's mother, who claimed the prosecutor hounded her son to death. The case was dismissed. He had some minor run-ins with the law, including arrest for shoplifting and driving under the influence, and tried unsuccessfully to sell the film rights to his story. (laughs) He never published his book, Presumed Guilty, because he claimed that he had written a book. Um, Let's see. Kenny's neighbors on Austin Street didn't like him and often complained to police about trash, traffic, his demeanor, and that he had a lot of cats and fed the strays. (laughs) So, September 18, 2003, the son of one of the detectives is now a cop. Okay. And he was now going to have to be dealing with the latest drama in Kenny's life. This is 2003. Mm Mm-hmm. Kenny was telling the officer he went to the house to check up on a friend whom he routinely drove to the methadone clinic. Instead, he was punched in the face, then shoved out the door by a man. Those inside the apartment had a different story. So when they talked to a 23-year-old woman who was on the bed, really out of it, he thought that she looked like she was dead. Mm -hmm. Um, There was another woman on the telephone calling a drug treatment center. It's scribbling down names of programs and hospitals trying to get help for her friend. Mm-hmm. Um, 
she told the police officer that Kenny was a problem, that he was part of her friend's drug problem. And when he showed up, she asked him to leave. When he didn't, she asked the male friend to get him to leave. So the officer leaned over to the woman on the bed and spoke with her privately. What's going on? He asked. She was a drug drug addict, she told him. She met Kenny a few months ago and partied with him quite a bit. He would buy a $100 bag of cocaine and the two of them would do it. Mm-hmm. Did he ever assault you? He asked. No, but he pressed her for more information. Kenny gave her the creeps and she had an uneasy feeling about him. The sliding door lock in her apartment was broken and he would sneak in. Sometimes he would, she would wake up in the middle of the night and find him standing over her in the bedroom. Oh, that's creepy. Kenny told her about the book he had written about a man who picks up prostitutes, kills them, and then leaves their bodies along the highway. Until that September day, she did not know about the bodies of the nine women who had vanished in 1988 that were found along the local highways. She did not know that two women, Christina Montero and Marilyn Roberts, remained missing. So nine women were officially dead. They think that there was two other women that were missing that are still missing mm-hmm. could have been a part of that, but they Don't have no know. idea. Yep. Yeah. Um, she did not know that Kenny had been charged with murder in one of those cases. She did not know the charge had been dismissed. The next day she was in a treatment program. Like, nice. Kenny died alone in his disgusting house. Aww. It was filled with trash and cats and cats and it was disgusting. <laughs> And he died. Let's see. Uh, the police officers that went, because they were called, um, basically would go in, take a few pictures, have to run out to be oh. able to breathe because it was it was so awful. Bad. He had been dead for quite some time, but it wasn't just the smell of decay of human decay. Mm-hmm. But it was it was awful. He lived in an awful awful place. Um, one of the officers could see crack pipes and needles. Um, some of the trash moved. She hoped it was a cat. Oh. <laughs> like, um, there were no signs of foul play. Mm-hmm. He just—he was a drug addict for a long time. Yeah. Um, How old was he? Did it, does it say when he died? Mm-hmm. He had died alone on a bare mattress at age 60. Oh, wow. That's a lot older than I was thinking he would have been. Would have been. Okay. So he was 60 years old. Hmm. And basically the other detectives retired or when the new DA took over were kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> so they really didn't have to prove that Tony did it. Oh, no. So we suspect that he did, but we really don't know. You know, it's one of those things where I'm like... But then Kenny later on in life is talking about uh-huh. doing this and doing that. I wrote a book about a guy that commits murders in these exact same way. Yeah. So it's just like. And then the Rochelle thing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So was Rochelle connected with the serial killer or did Kenny kill Rochelle? Right. And did, all the Was he the serial killer? Was he, Was Tony... The serial killer? Uh-huh. Or did he just, whenever he missed his girlfriend and was angry at her for leaving him, would go pick up a prostitute and beat her up? Yeah. 
Like, that is so who, weird. It's like, who knows? <gasps> well, they're both dead, so hopefully it was one of them. Yes. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> The, wow. So after all of our advancements in DNA and all that, like uh-huh. they tried every time it was like in the nineties, they sent it off to the FBI to see if they could get any trace DNA mm-hmm. off of it. Nothing in the two thousands. They tried again, nothing. Um, and I think it's at the, at the last like 2015, they sent off more evidence to see if they could get anything, mm-hmm. any DNA or anything off of it. Nothing. Wow. So this seems like one of those things that is never going to actually be solved. Yeah. They have no evidence. They had a lot of stories from different people saying, I mean, Kenny was a weirdo. Like yeah. he was, there's just no way around that. Kenny was weird. Mm-hmm. And, but just because he was weird doesn't mean he's a serial killer. Right. Tony was messed up. He was mentally ill. He was depressed. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a good chance that he did assault a lot of women. Uh Uh-huh. Doesn't mean he's a serial killer. Right. And so it's just like, you have all this evidence that points to one, and then you have all this evidence that points to the other, but none of it's conclusive in any way. Right. And it's just like, what? I, by the way, had no idea that there was no conclusion to this. <laughs> I had never heard of the New Bedford Highway serial killer. Uh-huh. And I was like, surely someone has been good. Co- no. <laughs> so at the end, I was like, what? <laughs> no ending. There was no answers. And I was just like, that's <sighs> crazy. Yeah, because you don't know whether to, even at this point, to mm-hmm. to cl- close the case or not. Yeah. You know? That was Tony. Okay. Oh, yeah, I see his flat nose. That's Kenny. Okay. And this was Neil Anderson. And he was early on a, a suspect. And uh, he was convicted of uh, something Assaulting. Else. Yeah. Okay. Assaulting and raping. And these were some of the officers that worked on it. Together, a lot of them were talked about often. Um, John, here, he's the one that connected it all at first. Okay. Um, He didn't do a lot of the investigating because pretty much once he connected it all, went to Ron Pena about it, and they started to, like, we need to catch this guy, and they started forming a task force. He had heart problems. Oh. And so um, he had a heart attack. He didn't didn't die. Mm -hmm. He had a heart attack. And um, they found that he had a weak heart mm-hmm. and he had a lot of heart problems. So they basically let him retire with a full pension oh. and all that for um, because there wasn't any way that he could continue. Yeah. Um, so he passed that on down to the other detectives. Okay. So one of the things um, they talked about Nancy's sister um, after they found out that she was missing she um and they started finding the women on the side of the road mm-hmm. her and her husband and her two kids were in the were driving home from somewhere and nancy wasn't one of the first that was found mm-hmm. she was found later and um when they were driving home she looked over and saw that there was you know police vehicles and all that parked on the side of the road and that they were taking a body bag out of the woods 
And so she she told her husband to pull over. She was like, pull over, pull over. And he was like, what, why? And he's all like, they just found my sister. And he was like, I'm not stopping. <sighs> like, he was like, you don't know that. You don't know what that is. You uh-huh. know, like, I'm not stopping. And yeah. so he goes home. It was her sister. Oh, my god. Like, goodness. she just knew. Yeah. That's just amazing. And one of the things that was said pretty often about all of the, the women, even though they had drug problems and they turned to prostitution mm-hmm. to satisfy those drug problems, was that the, they were reported missing because they always checked in. Like, it didn't oh. matter. Like, they always called their mom or checked in with their kids. Like, even mm-hmm. if they weren't living with their kids, like, yeah, it was a it was a thing. Like, she wouldn't have gone this long without calling one of us to, you know, just wanted to let you know that I'm alive and that everything's okay. Like, mm-hmm. and so. Yeah, because some of these ladies are older. Mm-hmm. You can tell. And Nancy was mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she didn't get into the drugs until later on in life. Like, it was one of those things that her daughters, because they talked to her daughters a couple of times throughout the book, mm-hmm. um, was that she was always a hard worker, a no-nonsense kind of lady. And then when she got with that guy and she started doing drugs, like, she just became someone someone else that was still the part of her that w- that was nancy that loved her kids and mm-hmm. but wow the drugs have become more important he just looks weird oh yeah kenny kenny looks so weird he looks like he's mad uh-huh and being arrested for something mm-hmm. and who knows how like for which arrest that was because he was arrested kind of often for small things here and there you know but He was so mad. <laughs> he was so mad. There's a picture of the district attorney. So that's the district attorney's house. That's Kenny's mom's house. Uh-huh. Do you see the sign that she's got in between their houses? Elect Paul Walsh. That's Which the- is the other guy. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was like... So Kenny can't come home, and then when I read, like, when I got to that part where, like, he lives right next door, like, her mom, his mom lives right next door to Rod Pena, 25 feet apart. I'm like, oh, my God, what? (laughs) I love it. Oh, that's Diane Doherty. Really? Uh Uh-huh. She looks like, just for first quick glance, um, the actress... Witherspoon? Yeah, Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Yes. Just that quick glance mm-hmm. how this would look like. If Reese Witherspoon was on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. She looks almost like proud that she's all tied up and handcuffed there. She just went and told her stories to the grand jury. Yeah. It's like my minute of fame here. Uh-huh. That's just nuts. I don't like things not being solved. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, and then you had more than one good suspect. Like, yeah. it wasn't like, we were pretty sure it was Kenny. We just can't prove it. Yeah. Or we're pretty sure it was Tony, but we just can't prove it. Yeah. It just seems so like, well, we can't prove this case against Kenny, so we're dropping the charges. So we th- we know he's up to no good. Mm-hmm. 
And now that Tony's dead, we can just throw him under the bus and be like, there, we solved it, but we can't do anything about it because Tony died. Right. And it still seems like it could be... It could be either one. Or neither one of them. Or neither one. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah. One solved, one unsolved. (laughs) (laughs) I just wish that I had known that before I went into this. (laughs) Because I got to the end and I was like, what? What? Right. So then so then I was like, well, this book was written in 2017. Maybe by now someone has solved it. Uh-huh. No. No. Still the not. last article that I read was in 2018 mm-hmm. and it was still unsolved. Oh. So. Well, I guess there's still time. Yeah. <laughs> well that was it for do we like murder we'll see you guys next time or listen to us next time i don't know whatever happy reading (laughs)